Hey, it's Marin from the Community Broadband Networks team. We decided to drop this webinar from the National Digital Inclusion Alliance into our feed because it offers a great explanation of what's happening with broadband investment from the infrastructure bill. We have a link to the slides and more information from NDIA on this show page. We hope you find it useful. Well, hello. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our webinar on digital equity in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Um, we're super excited for you to be here today. My name, for those of you who have not met yet, is Amy Huffman. I'm the policy director for the National Digital Inclusion Alliance um, and uh, would love to know a little bit about you. So please put your name, your organization, and where you're based in the chat and we'll get to know each other. I'm based in the great state of North Carolina in Durham, but I'm a Tar Heel, so um, go Heels. All right. So we are, oh, yeah, there we go. NDIA, it, we got started about seven years ago to represent you all, the folks doing the real digital inclusion work on the ground, making sure people have computers and an affordable internet connection and access to digital skills learning and, and classes where people can upskill their skills and, and really be competitive in today's environment. And today we have over 600 affiliates in 46 states. Y'all, it's almost the whole country. So we're thrilled that you're here and a part of our community, our ever-growing community. We do a few things. First of all, we do this, <laughs> which is the biggest thing that we do, which we, we call practitioner support, or really we kind of operate as a peer-to-peer -peer network where we learn from each other. We gather the best minds in the country on this issue together to learn from each other, best practices, policies, and things of that nature. We also do do policy work. So that's what we're here to learn about today is the digital equity um, portions in the Infrastructure Investment uh, uh, Jobs Act. Um, but we also take what we learn from you all and influence policymakers. So a lot of what ended up in this act and which is so exciting that we'll talk about today is because of you and the work that you've been doing for decades now. And then we do awareness about the issue. You know, what is digital inclusion? What is digital equity? More and more we're doing like, okay, well, how do you actually do digital inclusion? Like not just why it's important anymore, but, but how do we do it and do it well, right? Policymakers really need to know that as do folks across the country. And then we do some data and research. Probably the things you're most familiar with are our digital redlining report that Bill Callahan led, um, really un like unpacked what digital redlining is. And actually some of that um, work that he did preceded what ended up in the, in the IIJA. Okay, so we've got a lot to cover. I will do my best not to get in the weeds and not to use too many acronyms. Um, please keep me honest. But first we'll go through an overview of the IIJA. And I will use an acronym there just because otherwise I will be saying Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act 5,000 times and no one wants to hear me stumble over that. Um, within the IJ, there's specific portions that we're going to look at today, and we're, it's not, we're not going to do a comprehensive overview, but we are going to look at some, some main portions that we think will impact you and your work a lot in the coming years. And you heard me right, I said years. Um, so first, the Digital Equity Act. Second, the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program, or BEAD. 
And then third, the affordable connectivity program. And then we hope to leave plenty of time for Q&A. So if you hear me kind of rushing through this information, it's because I really want to get to the meat of this discussion and have a real discussion with you all. Okay, so the IJA. So first of all, it's an act. It's not a bill anymore. <laughs> Hooray! Like, this is the, the point in time we do a little happy dance. Um, this, yes, it was like the longest six-month nightmare <laughs> that I've ever been involved in. No, it wasn't a nightmare. It was a dream. But uh, really, like if you think about it, this this act, at least the broadband portion, really is years in the making, um, if not decade, a decade in the making. And so um, what we're going to talk about is um, some of these things that we've been advocating for for years actually ended up in this act. Um, so the way it works is within the, so there's the whole act that addresses things like railroads, airports, roads, all sorts of infrastructure, $3 trillion. Within the act, there's a set aside portion for broadband and that's 65 billion for broadband and broadband related things. Within the broadband section, there's individual pots of funding for individual programs. So we're gonna get in more into what those individual programs are within the broadband section of the full act. So within the broadband section, there's the Digital Equity Act, which we're quite thrilled about. There's 2.75 billion set aside for that. Then the bulk of the broadband section or 42.5 billion of it is going to increase access to unserved and underserved locations primarily throughout the, the, the country. And that's called the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program or BEAD. If you hear me say BEAD, that's what I'm referring to. Then we have the Affordable Connectivity Program. There's 14.2 billion for that. There's $2 billion for a tribal connectivity program. We won't talk about that today, but that's a continuation of the program that was set up under the Consolidated Appropriations Act. There's a billion for middle mile connectivity, which again, we won't talk about today, but if you're interested, I'm sure there's lots of information out there, particularly from our friends at Benton that you could learn more about that program from. And then there's the digital discrimination section, which again, we're not gonna get into much detail about today, but this is the digital redlining section. And what it does is it, 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 Congress is telling the Federal Communications Commission, hey, there's a problem and we're, that we've recognized that some folks, some providers are discriminating against some, some certain classes of individuals. And we'd like you, Federal Communications Commission, to make some rules about that and make sure that it doesn't happen again. So that's what that section is about. There's no funding tied to it, but it's a rulemaking section, making sure that the FCC makes some rules around digital redlining or digital discrimination. Okay, so the Digital Equity Act. So the first thing to know um, before we even get into the definitions about the Digital Equity Act and the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program or the BEAD program is that Congress and the president are both in this, um, in this language and these acts and in these programs, they're really wrecking, they're stepping back and they're recognizing that the federal government isn't the entity that should be doing digital inclusion, right? So they are recognizing that states and local governments and community-based organizations and practitioners and folks like you 
who already are embedded in your communities, are the trusted resources in your communities, that you all are the best ones to do digital inclusion. And that's a big win right there, that alone. And you'll see that that ethos is, has made its way throughout all of the, um, both the Digital Equity Act and the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program. So the first thing to know about the Digital Equity Act is it actually uses and codifies two definitions that are very dear, near and dear to our hearts because you all, our community, helped us create them when we got started nearly seven years ago. And those are digital equity and digital inclusion. So if you haven't heard these terms before, digital equity is our goal. It's what we're trying to achieve. We want to make sure that we live in a, in a nation where everyone, every individual and community has the capacity for full participation in our society, democracy, and economy. And then digital inclusion is how we get there. Digital inclusion are the programs, the policies, and the tools that help us achieve a digitally equitable state. So in the Digital Equity Act, there are two programs and three grant funds. The two programs are the State Digital Equity Capacity Grant Program and the Digital Equity Competitive Grant Program. So I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna break both of those down for us, okay? And first, we're going to talk about the State Digital Equity Capacity Grant Program. So this is a program for states to do digital equity work. It's split into two grants, planning grants and capacity grants. Planning grants are what they sound like. They help states create digital equity plans. They give funding to states to do that. And then the capacity grants are also what they sound like. They are for the states to um, implement those plans. There's 1.5 billion total for this section of the act, 60 million for the state planning grants. So a little over a million dollars per state and 1.44 billion for the capacity grants. So in other words, there's 60 million to help the states create the plans and 1.44 billion to help them implement those plans. This is a lot of words and I'm gonna break it down for you. Um, the administrator for this program is gonna be the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, or NTIA. They are housed at the US Department of Commerce. Some of you might remember them. They um, were the administrators for the BTOP Awards way back a decade ago, right? Um, the eligible entity, so what will happen is the governors or an equivalent office in each state will determine who is going to be the administering entity for these state programs and grants. So they can select an entity from this list that you see here on the screen. I'm not gonna go through them all. Um, and then that entity will essentially be in charge of the planning and the administering of um, the implementation awards after they do the plans. So if you kind of think it through, that entity will basically be the de facto digital equity lead for that state for the next five plus years, right? Um, we don't know, of course, and every state can choose, but we expect that most governor's offices will, will select their broadband offices for this role. But that is um, 
of course, up to the governors and we'll see what happens. The capacity grants, um, there's a formula here that shows how those are gonna be allocated um, if you're interested in that. Within the planning section of the act, Congress is asking states to really hone in on and make sure that their plans and then subsequently their programs and things that they, they how they implement and attack this digital divide are really um, focused in on the populations who suffer from the digital divide most. And so they've outlined these folks as what they call covered populations. And really it's the folks that you already serve. It's the vulnerable populations, it's seniors, individuals with disabilities, low-income households, individuals with language barriers, um, individuals minor with better minority or um, uh, members of a, a racial or ethnic minority group, even individuals who primarily reside in rural areas. And what Congress does is they say, as you're building these plans, states, we want you to keep these covered populations in mind. And we want you to look at data about how your, um, uh, what barriers these specific populations face in achieving digital equity. And they also outline several other things that they wanna see end up in plans. They want, after the states figure out who are, what are the barriers for these covered populations? They want states to figure out, okay, how are you going, what objectives do you have? And how are you going to achieve those objectives? And, and they specifically outline um, those uh, uh, objectives around um, the main legs of the digital, of digital inclusion. I didn't write them out here because the way they write it, <laughs> It's really long and would take up way too many words on a slide. So, but um, we have that information if you're interested. It's also in the language in the act. But basically they want states to create measurable objectives for documenting and promoting uh, various digital inclusion activities that will advance the covered population's pursuit of digital equity and closing of those barriers. They then want states to, okay, so first they identify barriers, create objectives for closing those barriers, then figure out how they want states to then assess how these objectives that they've outlined will impact the other areas that the states are already in charge of. So economic development, workforce development, health outcomes, et cetera. So they want the states to think holistically about how what they're doing around digital equity will help them achieve their other goals. Because remember, digital equity impacts all of the different industries, right? in different aspects of a person's life. Then they want the state to describe how the state plans to collaborate with key stakeholders. And they also want the state to list out the various organizations that it collaborated with on developing the plan and also uh, how it plans to work with those organizations in implementing the plan, which um, you know, will be very important for all of you. Okay, so what we know in terms of timeline for the state digital equity capacity program, we anticipate that there will, NTIA will soon open up a request for comments on building the program. Um, we also anticipate based on the language within the act and in the appropriation section of the act that um, within 180 days um, that 
NTIA will release a notice of funding opportunity, or it's basically you know, the grants application or NOFO um, for the planning portion of these grants. States will then have 60 days to apply before receiving a planning grant award. And then they'll have 12 months to develop those plans. And then capacity grants would be available for implementation after that. All right, so now we're gonna switch over to the second program that's outlined in the Digital Equity Act, which is the Digital Equity Competitive Grant Program. There's 1.25 billion set aside for this portion of the act or this program specifically. It's split over five years, fiscal years, um, 250 million per fiscal year. Um, again, the program administrator will be the NTIA, um, but eligible grantees are, the list is actually quite long. It's not just states. And actually the, um, the entity that's administering the state digital equity capacity grant program, they will not, that specific entity will not be eligible for these awards because they don't want states that, that that entity that's already getting the funding from the other part of the program to come and get the funding for this. Um, but so political subdivisions are eligible, um, foundations, corporations, institutions that aren't a school, local education authorities, community anchor institutions, um, a partnership of any of these types of entities, um, and uh, public housing, all, all sorts of groups are eligible for this. The use of funds is quite broad. It's digital inclusion activities. It could be digital literacy uh, classes. It could be um, equipment, so computers and devices. It could be setting up public access locations or gap networks. It could be um, digital navigator programs. It could be a whole host of things. And we are so excited to see what you all come up with. We hope there's a lot of innovative programs that really meet the needs of different constituents across the country that come out of this program. This timeline's a little iffy. <laughs> we were not, the, I almost wanted to put a bunch of question marks here because we're just not really sure what the timeline's going to look like on this, but I'm gonna do my best based on what's in the, um, the language of the act. Um, so we do anticipate a request for comments will open up soon-ish. Um, not later, it says in the act, uh, not later than 30 days after the capacity grants, which are the, this, the implementation grants for states, after they go out and not before, the assistant secretary, which is the assistant secretary of commerce, shall establish the competitive grant program. So in other words, um, they have, it can't be later than uh, 30 days after the initial round of capacity grants go out. So we'll see what um, NTIA does with this language as they're developing these programs. We're not entirely sure when this notice of funding opportunity will come up, will come open. Um, and uh, we uh, basically application window, we don't know a specific application window, um, but uh, grant, eligible grantees must submit applications when they come open. So that's what we know. What I'll say, I know this is a lot, but what I'll say is um, for this portion of the Digital Equity Act, you know, what I can say is this funding is not going to be available tomorrow, 
it's not going to be available January 1st. Um, you know, we're looking more end of 2022, sometime in 2023. So if you need funding, I'm just going to go ahead and say this now, and I'm sure I'll say it again later. If you need funding for your digital inclusion activities now, um, we'd recommend that you, you look to other opportunities like the uh, ARPA funds that may still be available from your state or local governments uh, or the American Rescue Plan Act funding or other sources of funding. The act, the, the IJA funds and, and all of these portions within the broadband section are intended to be long-term programs and, and more and programs that get that begin not quite finished, but begin getting at our systems and becoming more systemic and, and sustainable. All right. So we're going to move over to the deployment section of the Act or the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program. This program um, is basically block grants to states. Um, and it's for broadband infrastructure deployment and other digital inclusion activities. Uh, the NTIA will also be administering this program and um, it's total, it's 42.42 billion. States, each state will get a minimum of 100 million. And then there's a complicated formula <laughs> for determining how much else how much additional funding they get to that 100 million. States, DC, Puerto Rico, and these other territories, American Samoa, Guam, US Virgin Islands, and Northern Mariana Islands are the ones that are eligible for this program. So I shouldn't just say states, I should say states, DC, and other territories. Um, and then what it will do is states will have these block grants, then they will subaward out the funding um, two entities to actually deliver the broadband service to households. And those entities, those sub-award or sub-grantees, they can be cooperative. So if some of you might have telephone member cooperatives in your states or electric membership cooperatives, it can be those folks. It could be nonprofit organizations. It can be public-private partnerships. It can be private companies like the traditional internet service providers that um, we all know um, it could be public or private utilities, uh, public utility districts, and or local governments. So some of you have municipal governments in your communities already that do deliver broadband service, so they would be eligible for these funds as well. The use of funds is, um, is actually not just deployment. So um, they can be used for broadband infrastructure deployment connecting eligible community anchor institutions, so libraries, schools, healthcare institutions, um, et cetera. They can be used for data collection, broadband mapping and planning. We hear a lot, well, what money can I use for, for mapping or planning? This money. Um, can also be used for installing internet and Wi-Fi infrastructure um, or providing reduced cost broadband within multifamily residential buildings, so public housing. Um, and then also can be used for broadband adoption and including, which includes programs to provide affordable internet capable devices. So to, to highlight, to pull out specifically what states can do with these funds that are uh, 
related to digital inclusion. So that deployment to multifamily buildings and promotion of broadband adoption is really important and key that states can do that. And so we want them to do that, right? We don't want them to spend all their money on uh, rural access. We want them to use the money for, for both and, right? Um, grant recipients um, or the ISPs or the subrecipients, um, they must offer a low cost or affordable plan for consumers. So any internet, any uh, subrecipient or subawardee for the grants to that is going to deploy infrastructure using these grant funds has to have a low cost offer. So so you know sometimes these take the form of they're like $19.99 a month for service for low-income households that they will be required to offer those as part of this program. The timeline, similar to the Digital Equity Act, there's still a lot we don't know, but what we do know um, is that the request for comments will open soon um, and that the act does require um, that the notice of funding opportunity, or as you might hear, the NOFO, um, that it that it opened within 180 days of the act's passing. States will then, after the NOFO goes out, states will submit letters of intent to NTIA. NTIA will then release a portion of the planning funds to states. States will then have to come up with a five-year action plan that they submit to NTIA. And then, they will be waiting for the FCC to, to release um, what's called the broadband data maps. The FCC was required to create these maps under one of the other recovery acts that came out last year. And once those new maps are available, then states will be required to submit an initial proposal to NTIA and they'll get 20% of their funds to the first tranche of funding and then later on, they'll submit a final proposal and receive the rest of their funds. I know that's a lot, it's, it's an elongated timeline, but basically just know it's, it's kind of a multi-step, multi-year process for states to receive all the funds. Um, and I think part of this is NTI's recognition that there's a lot of other funding out, or Congress's recognition rather, there's a lot of other funding sources out there for deployment right now. And so stacking it this way gives states the opportunity to, to make sure that they're planning well and, and, and mixing and matching things where appropriate. Um, it also, that portion where you're, we're waiting on the maps that can be frustrating that we're waiting on the maps, but remember that there's not really good data on where broadband is available to households right now. And so waiting to have better data will end up resulting in better use of the funds. And so, so that is why that's in there. Okay. Right, we are gonna transition to our third and final program that we're gonna talk about today, and that's affordable connectivity program. So the affordable connectivity program is the continuation of the emergency broadband benefit, which is the program that was established by Congress under the Consolidated Appropriations Act. Originally, it was a $3.2 billion program. Now it's a $14.2 billion program. So Congress clearly and resoundingly and oops, in a bipartisan way said, this program's important and we want to continue it. It is not permanent, but it is on a path to a more permanent place than it was before. 
um, let's just say we're not wringing our hands over the funds running out within six months like we were in anticipation of the emergency broadband benefit program. So the Federal Communications Commission was the entity that administered the EBB or Emergency Broadband Benefit Program. They will continue to be the, the program administrator for the Affordable Connectivity Program. Um, notice that there's a name change. It went from Emergency Broadband Benefit Program to Affordable Connectivity Program. Not American Connectivity Program, not Affordable Connectivity Fund, Affordable Connectivity Program. Those are other things I've seen floating around about this program. Um, it did reduce the monthly rate. So there are a couple changes that happened to the program um, that Congress made to the program uh, when it transitioned. So one of those things is that it's reducing the monthly rate that customers or consumers receive, which was $50 a month. It will be $30 a month going forward. Under the uh, Affordable Connectivity Program, now all plans that a provider offers will be mandated to be eligible for the Affordable Co Connectivity Program. Under EBB, providers could choose to offer all plans. Not many of them did. Most of them set up a few, program a few um, offerings that were eligible for EBB. Um, now everything that they offer will be, have to be eligible. And then there are a couple eligibility changes that I'll get into in a second. Oh, no, that was when I was supposed to get into them. Sorry. <laughs> um, it adds a few additional ways that a household can, can be made eligible or qualify for the program. And those are, it adds WIC as a way to be eligible. And then also it increases, it increases the federal poverty line from a, uh, 135% to 200%. So previously you had to fall under 135% to qualify of the federal poverty line. Now it's 200% of the federal, federal poverty line to qualify, which if you follow the math means more households would be eligible. Some other notable changes to the program or things to know, um, there's a 60 day grace period. So, um, this program is, into, is supposed to go into effect at the end of this, this month, the end of December, 2021. So December 31st, Congress wanted the FCC to get up and running quickly. Um, but so the households that are on EBB and receiving that $50 benefit, they have a 60 day grace period window to continue receiving that $50 subsidy. So they'll continue getting that subsidy for two months before their transition to the $30 subsidy. Um, in addition to adding two eligibility criteria, the act did drop two eligibility criteria. One was um, households who had a substantial loss of income due to the pandemic. The other was households who participated or already participated in um, an internet service provider's COVID emergency plan. Some of the, the providers came out with these emergency plans in response to the pandemic. So if you were a household who was already participating in that, you were automatically then um, eligible under EBB. Now that those plans have gone away, that criteria doesn't make sense. The FCC has told us that, they, that not many people enter the program through these two criteria. Another notable change is that um, no, uh, credit checks will not be 
uh, ISPs will not be allowed to use credit checks any longer. Um, ISPs will be, um, it'll be required for them to participate in public awareness campaigns about the program. So they will be required <laughs> to advertise the EBB to their uh, consumers. Um, it also provides funding or it provides um, language and, and requires the FCC to do additional outreach as well about the program to consumers. Um, and it provides a, a potentially a way for to give you all um, additional support in uh, doing outreach and engagement. Um, it also establishes some new rules that will protect consumers um, that participate in the program. Uh, two notes about timing on this, and I apologize, I realized I didn't have a slide. Um, the way this is going to work is that the FCC opened up a public notice a few weeks ago asking for comments on this transition of the program. Those comments are due tomorrow, December 8th. We have uh, hosted a working group with several of you, and thank you for your participation and collaboration and have been working on comments that we will submit to the FCC tomorrow. Others and other organizations across um, the public interest community are as well. After the FCC receives those comments, they're going to review them and they'll open up a reply comment period on December 28th. They will move forward with the transition on December 31st. And what they've told us and told our community on community calls is, um, because of the rapid nature of this change and the, uh, uh, the change of programs um, overnight, while also they'll be basically um, still managing the EBB program, the folks that are still in the grace period of that while setting up the ACP program. But there will probably be some, some, some the program that launches December 31st may not look the same two months later. In other words, they anticipate that they will be modifying the program as, or making the program better as they go. So just to give you that heads up. Um, if you are an entity that is working to sign up folks for EBB, we'd encourage you to continue to do that through the end of the year, since they will receive that, that increased rate of uh, a benefit for two months. Um, so a household who signs up for EBB on December 30th, they'll have two months with the $50 benefit. A household who signs up for the EBB on January 1st, they will immediately have the $30 benefit. So just, you know, we'd encourage you to continue to sign folks up under the EBB. All right, with that, I am going to stop blabbering. I'm also gonna stop sharing my screen so I can see all of you better. And we're gonna open up Q&A. So I think what we'll do, I know there's a lot of, um, questions in the chat. Angela, since you've been monitoring the chat, are there any questions that you haven't already answered that I can answer? Yes, and I'm also just going to throw some out to you that came up that I think would be better verbal than what I was trying to quickly type in. Um, so a little bit of confusion over administering entity. Amy, can you describe the difference between administering entity and eligible for the grants themselves? So administering entity being, I'm, I'm sorry, Amy, go ahead. Which grants? So I'm sorry, the Digital Equity Act. So there was confusion that administering entity that lists then means that those are the 
organizations that are eligible to receive grant funds from the state or from NTIA from the Digital Equity Act. Yeah, I think the confusion is actually on Congress because I think they ended up using the same or a similar list of those uh, entities that could be eligible for being the administering entity on behalf of the state and then later on could also be eligible for receiving grants. So, so the, 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 the confusion is, is uh, legitimate. So I, I apologize for that. I should have said that before. Um, so the, what will happen, the administering entity is going to be the entity that the governor or the equivalent office uh, selects to, to create the digital equity plan and implement the plan. And so that entity, think of that entity as the, the coordinator for the state, right? So that, that and, and the convener. So, so um, they listed out, Congress listed out a long list of potential organizations that could fill that spot. Um, but we anticipate, uh, be, because not every state is going to have a state broadband office, that they, they listed out a lot of folks and not in every state is the broadband office the best place for this work. So that's why they list out a, a lot of, of entities that could be that. Um, but we anticipate in most states it will be the broadband office. And then, which means for the who's eligible for the grants, um, that entity will be the only one eligible for the state capacity grants or implementation grants. They then can decide to sub award that grant out to other entities across the state. And then for the competitive grants, that administering entity is not eligible for the competitive grants, but that other list of organizations is. And so in the list of who's eligible to be the administering entity, it says no schools. My memory is that schools can participate in the grants themselves. Is that your knowledge? That's my memory too, but we'd need to double check it. Um, I think the list is maybe not one-to-one, -one, but it's similar, and so it looks very similar. Okay, and then um, questions about the Affordable Connectivity Program, um, uh, questions about uh, devices and credit checks. Can you take those two? Uh, so yes, the devices are or will continue to be part of the Affordable Connectivity Program. It's going to be the same $100 um, that can go toward, $100 that can go towards a device um, and then credit checks are not permitted under the new program. Great, thank you. Um, and just to repeat again, and we should probably put this on the listserv, is that um, this is being recorded and we're gonna put it on the website and there will be slides attached and uh, even depending on how fast Josh works, the FAQ from the chat could potentially be included in the blog post. Maybe even later today, depending on how fast everybody is. So uh, there's lots of interest in the slides. So know that uh, we will we will get those to you onto the website as soon as we can. Um, other questions that I saw in here, uh, requ requirements for um, maybe Amy talked just a little bit about the things we don't know and that we expect to come up like um, any details about how long the grants will be and what will be required and maybe just a few comments on what we don't know. There's a lot we don't know. <laughs> uh, 
think that's the first and foremost. There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot for NTIA to d- decide in their in their rulemaking process, and a lot of detail to work out um, for the bead grants, for the Digital Equity Act grants, and and even there's a lot of detail for the FCC to work out in this transition. There. Um, the FCC's uh, public notice that they released two weeks ago, I swear had like a thousand questions in it, um, asking for comment on how to to run this program well. Um, So there's a lot, we don't know a lot that will happen in the rulemaking process. So uh, for instance, in the Digital Equity Act, we we don't know the term length of the grants. We don't know when they'll actually open up. We don't know um, what the application will look like. uh, we don't know uh, how states will uh, do will align the planning or be required to align the planning. There's planning that's required under the BEAD program, and then there's planning that's required under the Digital Equity Act. So how will they those two plans be required to be aligned? We, we don't know that yet. So there's quite a bit we don't know. Okay, and then. Um... Talk a little bit about the um, the possibility that FCC could uh, end up providing outreach grants to community-based efforts. Yes, so so that we don't know about that yet either. But they did ask; they they were given the authority to do that in the act. The FCC was given the authority to create uh, grants um, to provide to community-based organizations and community anchor institutions to do outreach around the EVB um, or, and any, uh, uh, you know, additional programs, which would be the ACP. They asked in the public notice about how best to do that. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. They said, we've never done anything like this before and we don't really know how to do it. Can you give us some ideas about how to do this well? Um, and so we, we are, we, we got some great ideas from our working group on how to, on what would be uh, best. And, and, and the answer is it's simple, right? No one wants to apply to really complicated grants from federal government. Um, in that, so that uh, in importantly in the act, they were not given actual FCC was not given actual funding like a line item for these grants. They're just given the authority, so they may choose not to do this, but they could use their administration funds to do it. They were given funds to, to administer the program, and in the public notice, they ask if they should use their administration funds for this, and and we are saying resoundingly, uh, yes, you definitely should. <laughs> Um, because we think that is the missing piece in the efficacy of this program. Thank you. A uh, question from Sarah. Sarah, please. Hey, everybody. Hi, Amy. Hi, Sarah. Um, I'm trying to get better clarity on this mapping thing. I've been in all these meetings about these broadband maps and these FCC maps and the updated maps. And I just got off a meeting with an internal legal person about how, like, we can challenge the maps. And so I just, I mean, I'm not, we don't need to take up a whole bunch of time here, but like, who, like, how do I better understand that, you know, like how these map, how this mapping thing is working? Because obviously it has such a huge piece around our allocation and in a large municipality, you know, for me to identify the unserved for IIJA bead money is going to be really 
challenging. And so I don't know, I just am sort of curious as to maybe just giving me some ideas of who I could talk to more about the real specificity about how the maps are working, how the updates are doing, how the challenges can be done, and then how the funding allocation is predicated on whatever the maps say. So I will caveat this by saying I and we at India are not the best people to answer this. But I'll give I can actually, like, we can say like, that's not our thing. Like we, we don't do. Yeah, that's fine. Maybe somebody <laughs> could tell me who, who could. Who yeah, so let's ask, Amy might have a thought of who to talk to. Yeah, so what I would say is first, I think a lot of that detail that you're looking for, Sarah, that's what will come out in the NOFO. And so NTIA is, that's a big question. That's a big question mark of how they're going to require the use of these maps for their program. And I would anticipate that um, the NOFO will answer some of those questions. And, um, and, that's, um, and, and that's just one of those big question marks that we don't know right now. The second thing is the, the folks who can answer the, the, about the maps is the FCC. So, so they're the ones creating the maps. And so um, I, I'd have to do some digging to figure out which bureau to talk to, but that's what I'd recommend. Oh, and there sorry. were, there were a couple of items in the chat too. Um, so there's might be some help for you in the chat. Uh, question from Christine. Hi all, exciting times. Um, thank you, Amy. Thank you, Angela, for hosting this. Um, for those of us that have been around since BTOP or before, um, there was mentioned earlier, uh, the Digital Equity Com Competitive Grant, which I was trying to clarify in the chat, Angela, um, <clears throat> it says that there's, and then I, I think I gleaned from that, that there's no specifics on that yet. Um, and yet it's not going to go through states. And those of us that have had funding that have gone through states and the delineation of ISPs and all the rest of stuff, um, the, the competitive grant doesn't, when it comes about, how do you see that coming about? Where do you see that coming from? How are they going to host it? And because for nonprofits and those agencies that are doing programs, it's the most direct way to get to the the meat potatoes yeah absolutely you're right so that will be um so the ntia will be the ones administering those grants along with the grants to states um and so that you're right that it would be the most direct path to receive the funding um and so it would be a um an organization like yours going and applying for the funds from ntia um, that is, we still don't know what that application will look like. We don't know when it will be open. We, that was the, um, if you recall in the presentation, the, the timeline with the least amount of definite um, certainty because that we, we were just unsure of when um, NTIA will open up those grants for um, yeah. Everyone, but what I do know is they will do a, a request for comments. Period. I would, um, it, we will be commenting. We encourage as many folks in our affiliates to do so as well if you have the capacity to do so, because uh, providing feedback about to NTIA about how 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 it's best for you to apply for these grants, manage these grants, do the reporting on these grants, um, will be helpful for them as they establish these. Yeah, and thanks for that, because I think that a lot of us um, would be right there to help you. Uh, we just, 
we just don't, we're not monitoring it the way uh, you guys are monitoring it. So, you know, that call to action, just reach out and say, Christine, I need your comments now. It's like, wait, yeah. wait. we will be monitoring it very closely. So for anyone, if you're not, this is a great time to just pause and say, if you're not part of our community and you have any interest in this field, now's a, time, a great time to become part of our community because we will be working to keep you all informed as these things go. We will be sending out things on our listserv. We will be saying we need comments from you now. We will be in, inviting you to join working groups to, to be part of this process. So, so we'd love for you to be part of our community if you're not already. Um, um, Amy, can you quickly explain um, how the, how BEAD could potentially, again, we don't know if the rules aren't out there, but could potentially be used for things other than infrastructure since that's since that is our focus, NDIA's focus, the beyond infrastructure question, can you get into that just a little bit? Um, yes. So the act specifically says it can be used for broadband adoption, including programs to provide affordable internet capable devices. It also says um, I had it pulled up on my paper copy. I still have a paper copy, y'all just in case I got this question. Um, it also says that um, the use of funds um, installing internet and Wi-Fi infrastructure or providing reduced cost broadband within a multi-family residential building. So that's that's making sure, so that, that's um, making sure that there's the, the networks within um, public housing or multifamily units are, are affordable. And um, it gives priorities to those buildings that have a substantial share of unserved households or are in a location in which the percentage of individuals are at or below 150% of the poverty rate, poverty line. So those are two ways. The, the broadband adoption part is very vague. So the states will have a lot of leeway on what how they interpret that great thank you question from ricky all right good afternoon hi ricky how you doing so some of the items have been covered but i just wanted some clarity behind it because right now for those of us who are having to work with city governments municipalities and school systems and housing authorities at the same token if we're looking at almost six to 12 months before anything can be rolled out. What are we doing in the middle for all of these families that are still completely unserved that from our position, all of us sit in a position of privilege where we have access. So how can we use some existing funds to like the EBB going to ACP to be able to say, let's go do some multifamily unit properties so we can get the feasibilities because if we're just waiting on FCC for the maps, we know where the clusters of poverty are. We know where the broadband redlining or digital inequities exist for places like housing authorities. Is there something we can continue to do as a group to start smallly connecting households and families while we're waiting on these large tranches to come out? Yeah, great question, Ricky. So I want to be, um, I want to address one thing that you said, and then I'll address it as a whole. So first that we're only waiting on the maps for the bead portion uh, of the funds, which granted is the bulk of the funds, but still that, that's what we're waiting on the maps for. The Digital Equity Act is not attached to that portion of the funding. Okay. So you don't have to wait for the funds for that. 
That said, there's a whole plan that the state has to go through before the other funds are available, et cetera, et cetera. So there is, there is going to be waiting um, and it is not going to be available overnight. So here's my recommendation. You, you do look to things like you already just mentioned a really great idea using existing funds that are available today to do innovative things. So, so EBB or ACP, you can use in multifamily uh, dwelling units. So figuring out how to do that and do that while getting the word out there about uh, the ACP to get more folks connected. Um, the other big thing is, is um, if you live in a city, in a municipality, in a, in a community that does not have a coalition, start one. Communities with coalitions are going to be better equipped, better prepared to seamlessly connect all these different tranches of funding and coordinate where all these funding pots go. We have someone on staff that can, can provide you some guidance on that. Her name's Minnie Ray Jester. Um, we're creating, we're updating our coalitions guidebook that will be released shortly that can also support you in that. So that is, that is step one. Um, the other thing is, is um, there are funds out there right now called the, uh, or from the American Rescue Plan Act that your local governments and your states have access to. If you haven't already talked to them about how they're using those funds for digital inclusion, then that's a great thing to do. Just ask them how they're using them. Um, the other thing, and I'm gonna steal this or, or share this example from Franklin County, Ohio, um, their digital equity, um, coalition has several subgroups. One of them is an advocacy group. Their advocacy team has been meeting with their city council and county commissioners for the past month, just a meeting, just to introduce themselves and say, this is who we are. This is our group. This is what we do. Um, and that is, uh, they're not asking for funding. They're just, they're just introducing themselves, which actually uh, one of the folks on the call who's worked with city councilors for, for a long time, she said, this is the best practice and this is how you end up getting funding. Doing these soft introductions now will help you be in the door later. So those would be my recommendations. Okay, we have two minutes left. Uh, it was noted to me in the chat that uh, we should remind everyone how NDIA creates comments. So whenever we're replying um, to a request for comments like we are doing right now with EBB to ACP and what we'll do again when it comes to NTIA is that we do have partners out there who are working on their own comments. So if you were ever working on your own comments on any of these, uh, let Amy and Josh know that you're doing that. But then also the um, we do working groups. We create working groups whenever we need feedback from you all. So if we know that you are interested in a particular issue, we will welcome you into that working group. Um, and of course, participating in the listserv influences the comments that we provide to. Uh, and then the question about the coalition work, um, could one of the our NDIA team grab the link for the coalition guidebook? Um, the one that we have up right now is the um, the one from a couple of years ago. So we're in process of updating that and that will be out in January. Um, but this one can at least get things started. Uh, Amy, last words. Um, I know this was a lot of information. Stay tuned. We're going to have a lot more explainers like this coming out in the new year. Um, and 
hang with us. We're going to keep plugging away at this and keep learning about all of this together because <laughs> this is a lot. We're learning a lot, I promise you. Um, so if you have any questions in the meantime that I didn't answer today, feel free to reach out. Um, but we appreciate you all and all the work you do and all the work that you did to get us to this point where we actually have this huge pot of money that can help um, really go towards beginning to close the digital divide. So thank you. Thank you for being here. We appreciate you and we'll see you next time. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at unionetworks.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR. Building local power, local energy rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song, Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. Thanks for listening.